My name is Ishan Rola. And I'm Annie Knudsen. And welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the podcast where students from different areas of life, undergraduate, graduate, or medical school, share their stories with mental health. A quick warning to those listening, this podcast deals with heavy themes such as depression, anxiety, and suicide, and it is left unfiltered in regards to language and content. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to put down in any way the mental health resources brought on campus. However, we must acknowledge how they cannot serve every student. Every week, you will hear a new student tell their story. We hope these stories will shine a light on the often overlooked issue of mental health and provide a place of comfort for those currently suffering. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's story. Well, I left my head in the heart. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Perfect. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, you know, share anything that you want to know and, you know, give give some insight here into sure. everything mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just get started on your story. Where did it begin? Like, I struggle with severe depression and that kind of started for me, you know, I would say around the time I hit puberty, around like between the ages of like 10 and 12, something like that, when, you know, I first, I became kind of cognizant of, you know, how I would feel and, you know, just, just waking up, having this like, you know, natural sort of down and, and, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was interesting because I was always a very, you know, outgoing kid. I mean, I identify more as an introvert just cause, you know, talking to people really does drain me, but, you know, I was never the type of guy to be like, you know, sitting in the classroom reading when people are outside or like just kind of alone yeah. in the playground or alone in the lunchroom. But, you know, around that time, I started to realize that I would wake up and, you know, there were just some days where just things would not be right. And I just, I couldn't explain it. And I had like no words. I had like, just, I, I, I didn't have the, I guess, the, the verbal, mental or emotional capacity to be able to actually, you know, either quantify it or be able to just kind of explain it to someone so I would just kind of count that as like an off day yeah you know and it it took me a very it almost took me I would say gosh seven or eight years to come to the realization that you know it was just depression yeah okay so basically like you just wake up you feel down you didn't know why it was just a feeling you had it was you know the natural sort of like chemical imbalance the serotonin imbalance just like you know, I, I wouldn't feel myself and I wouldn't be able to, you know, really function as I would when I feel fine. Yeah. And, you know, that led me into a lot of like really like interesting moments as a kid. Cause I remember there, there were days like that where I would just be like so down and I, I would be in class and people would try to approach me like they would on any other day, which would have been totally fine. But on that specific day, I just couldn't deal with it, honestly. And and I couldn't, you know, go through the motions and just, like, pretend to be happy like that because I just simply wasn't. And, you know, sometimes, granted, you know, it it was triggered by something. I would get upset by something, and that's okay. But, you know, when I started to really realize that it was more natural because I would wake up and I would have, like, a great day, you know, or the previous day I'd I'd be completely fine fantastic yeah wake up the next day and I would just feel absolutely terrible antisocial just really down on like life in general and that's when I kind of realized I was like you know what there's something going on here that like I don't understand and I really can't control so I kind of have to just get a little grip on that so so yeah so it took you so you said it took you eight years yeah to figure it out yeah. Did it just like, was it just persisting and you realized it? Did it get worse and you realized it? Was there a particular instance that you're like, goodness, this is something I have to work on? So I had a couple, you know, really bad stints and, and they didn't really start until about middle school where I started to, you know, experience a lot of like suicidal ideation. Oh. And that's kind of when I started to realize that, you know, that was kind of going to be a part of my life to a degree because that, you know, I, I had a moment where I never, I never attempted suicide back then, but I would really, you know, toy with it. Right. Yeah. And then I would just mentally just 
be at that spot where I would always think, you know, how much better would it be for myself and for others if I wasn't here? And clearly that's just such yeah. an irrational thought. And it's something that, you know, you should never entertain. But, you know, being that age, not understanding, because, you know, at that time, and, and this almost leads into the creation of Never Walk Alone is, you know, I was always that kid that would just never talk to people about how he felt. Uh, okay, gotcha. I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I just didn't want to talk to friends, didn't want to talk to family. I didn't want, you know, my parents paid for all these counseling lessons and I would sit there and I just wouldn't say a word. Yeah. So it just wasn't comfortable. I wasn't confident. I wasn't, you know, I didn't think it was necessary just being so stubborn at that age. And, you know, I fast forward a little bit. Were to, you almost like embarrassed? You know, I, I think to a degree that plays into it, but I think it was more or less my lack of understanding because, you know, at the time, I think it was a mix between my parents not really understanding and myself and just, you know, my dad was really, I, I don't want to say he was hard on me as a kid, but, you know, I really admired him and I look up to him. So yeah. whenever, like, I never really met his expectations or something, you know, I would get really upset about that. Yeah. And, you know, he really wouldn't understand, like, what I was going through mentally at the moment, which, you know, luckily, thank God, I'll just preface, my parents are probably the biggest support system I have That's now. Fantastic. And yeah, they, yeah, they've really, you know, helped me with my recovery my constant struggle and stuff like that and that's yeah. been incredibly refreshing but mm -hmm. I, I think uh you know back then having that you know kind of just stubbornness just being scared of what I might discover about myself if I really kind of dove into these kind of things it just horrified me and yeah. You know, all throughout high school, I was, you know, just the same way I always was, just kind of up and down with it, like, really feeling a lot of, like, really intense lows and, like, on occasion, some more intense highs, but it wasn't quite, like, you know, a, a typical diagnosis of someone with, like, bipolar disorder. So, I mean, you know, I have been, I guess, uh, I have been tested for all those sort of things, which was refreshing because, I mean... You know, when I finally came around to it, I wanted to know everything. If you were, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to know, like, exactly what was going on with myself. Yeah. And, you know, over time and in, through high school, I mean, if I can kind of parallel between, like, my journey and, and the start of Never Walk Alone is. Yeah. So my junior year of high school, I was, or I guess I should start back my sophomore year. I was really good friends with this girl named Allie Franks, and she was just this absolutely incredible person and was probably one of the most selfless people that I've personally ever known. And yeah. she, one night, I was in a really bad spot and, you know, like my, my suicidal ideation kind of took it to another level. And I, you know, had pills with me and I was, I was ready to just like oh. absolutely just end my life. And, you know, I, I thought more or less to myself, I was like, you know what? this might just be like a cry for help. And I was like, you know, I, I need to talk to someone and I just need to figure this out. So God forbid something in me was like, just call her, just talk to her. So I did. And she ended up, you know, picking me up, taking all of the pills and everything, just throwing them away, making sure that I was safe and that I was you know, completely okay. Just in the face of everything that she had to deal with as well. And, you know, sitting there and listening to her on that night, you know, I kind of realized I was like, you know, th th this person who is going through so much right now is taking the time to literally and just in every sense of the word, like save my life. And, you know, that that was one of the moments in high school that I took and I was like, you know, kinda, can, I, can I ask something yeah. about that? Like that one moment? Yeah. How did it get that far? I think it's something that a lot of people struggle to answer. And, you know, as much as I do, I, I think I have a decent grasp on it. And, and you know, yeah. what, it, what it feels like and how I can describe it is it's like being in, like, an airtight box and you have – you can't see anything around you and you're just panicking mentally and you just want a way out. And it's it's like you can't see forward. You can't see anything else. You can just see, you know – everything that is wrong and everything that you don't like. And in that moment, it just is, it's, it's hard to verbalize, but you, you, you think to yourself that irrational thought, you're like, you know, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be dealing with this. 
if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be putting things on other people. It wouldn't be all of these things. And, you know, that's kind of why you idealize it almost because it is, it seems so easy, you know? Yeah. It seems a lot easier than just having to go through things and just to power through and get legitimate help for it. It just, it seems just almost safe and comfortable in a way. And that sounds weird and it sounds terrible, but you know, it does. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that that's kind of how I felt about it and have looked at it in the past. And, you know, that's something now, thank God, I can identify and say, you know yeah. what? If you had these thoughts, like there's a very good reason for it, but there is a better reason to yeah. not ever act and not ever really... I, or I guess entertain these thoughts, you know. Because you you get like almost this tunnel vision where it's only negative input, and I'm assuming you always get the self anger of like, oh man, it's like, why am I worth it? Like, it's, this is my fault. No one really cares. Yeah, in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think that you know that little moment, like I kind of alluded to, it was almost a cry for help mentally, and mm-hmm. you know, I luckily around you know, around that time, a little bit after I started to take counseling a lot more seriously, which is something that really did help and was really eye opening just because, you know, I I kind of put my pride aside and was like, you know what, I need this. You know, that was one huge step that I had taken in my journey with struggling with depression and stuff like that. And, you know, just in that moment, and after everything that happened, just helped me realize just, you know, how much other people will mean in this process yeah and kind of helped me realize you know the the power of reaching out and having that strength to you know come forward and say you know what i I need help and i'm not okay i can't do this on my own Mm -hmm. because you know that's something that i also too was was pretty adamant on was you know Mm -hmm. i I can do this on my own i felt like i could but the the second i realized i couldn't i I was almost like set free and, and you said it was like a stubbornness, like you didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Was it because you were ashamed or because you thought that not no one would really help you out of it except for yourself? Yeah, I had this sort of like, you know, teenage, like self-reliance sort of thing going on where I was like, you know what? I, I don't need to look like, for lack of better words, and this goes all the way back to, to the, uh, the perception of, of, you know, ideal masculinity and, and, and like the... Being what, what being a man in our society is like, right? Where I was like, you know, I, I can't show that sort of weakness. Like, I, I can, if I can handle it on my own, mm-hmm. as I thought I had been, yeah. then I don't have to, you know, let people know that this is something I struggle with. This is something that I can just internalize and deal with. And, you know, that was really destructive for me. But kind of going off the, the night with Ali, yeah. yeah, the kind of inception of, of Never Walk Alone was we'd spoken a little bit after that night, sophomore year, and we'd spoken a little bit going into summer, but we both got really busy just with everything. And, you know, it, during that year, or I guess the beginning of that school year, I hadn't really talked to her that much. And, you know, I, I remember this night like really vividly, and it still remains to be like one of the most like shocking one of the hardest nights that I've kind of experienced because I uh, I came home from football practice one night and it was the night before a game and I was you know I just showered I like got in bed for a minute before I started homework was just like going through Instagram and I saw this post and it was like commemorating Allie and, and, and remembering her and I was like what do you mean remembering her and I, I looked a little bit further and I saw that she had died. It, it ended up being the case that she took her life. And I was just absolutely in shock. It's, it's completely okay. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's sadly the fact of the situation. And, you know, a lot of really beautiful things came out of it. But in that moment, I remember calling one of my friends and, you know, she's someone and obviously myself too, that have struggled with mental health in a pretty severe way. And, you know, I remember calling her just crying, just both of our, we were both just sobbing, even when I called her, and, you know, we were both just like, you know, 
I remember telling her like that that can't be you and that can't be me. Like we 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 have something so much to be here for. And I just always wish I could go back and tell that to Allie and be like, you know what? You have so much to be on this earth for. But, you know, like I said, out, out of that moment and, and out of that sprung a lot of really beautiful things in terms of you know, bringing awareness to mental health. And one of them was never walk alone. And I remember the week after I created a website that was called Never Walk Alone. And I had this loose idea of, of what I wanted to do in terms of connecting people struggling with mental illness or just anyone that wanted to support. And I, I kind of wrote up this little, like, just doctrine. I don't, I don't know what it was. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just like a mission statement almost. And I was like, you know what? This is something that I want to do. And this is something that I want to somehow implement. But you know, being in high school, I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that, like community or support to be able to, or even at that time, like personal, you know, strength and, you know, just mental, I guess, dexterity to put myself out there and and really do something about it. But so basically never walk alone is they couldn't do much with it. And so like it waited until college for adjusting. And we'll get into that later because yeah, it's an amazing organization right now. Absolutely. Thank you. What ended up happening for me in college is, is obviously after all of that happened, I went into senior year, I went into the summer going into college and stuff like that, and I was kind of still just dealing with things how I had been in the past. Just Yeah, internalizing and everything. I, I internalized less, but at the same time, like, things got a lot more real in terms of, like, going to college, in terms of just interpersonal relationships and stress and all that. So, I mean... It was never good for me to internalize, period. But during yeah. that time, everything really just built up. And, you know, I, I was struggling quite a bit mentally going into college. But, you know, the second I got there, it seems like, you know, th- this is just a product of me being a fresh, new person to college. You know, it seemed like everything took a backseat to just the excitement and to the fun and to the environment and to be transparent. You know, I went to Miami university, mm-hmm. my first semester of college. And I was, I, I can say it was one of the best moments of my life was the first like two, three months there. I mean, it was absolutely just incredible. And I was, you know, I just, I thought at the time I was so happy and I would always mm-hmm. tell my parents that, and I would tell me that, and it was almost like, I was just blatantly lying to myself and to them. Really? And, 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 you know, at the time, I didn't know I was lying. Yeah. And that's, that's the funny thing. And that's weird because, you know, I, I, got, I guess I would gotten so good at not only lying to myself about everything, but lying just to other people about how I was feeling that yeah. it was almost like a fake it till you make it sort of thing where, like, I just had that predisposed kind of, you know, reaction to these sort of things where it's like you just push it aside and focus on the good. Well, when you push those things aside, like they don't ever go away. They build and build and build and grow and just manifest. The the craziest thing is that you're saying it subconsciously. Like, you didn't even know you were doing it yourself. It was like, at this point, a complete defense mechanism that you didn't even Yeah, it it, it was something, you know... Over time, you know, I, I could definitely try to psychoanalyze why that <laughs> happened, but, you know, I, I would attribute it a lot to just the perception that I had about mental health to, yeah. you know, like I said, what it means to be a man in society. And it also comes back to, you know, just my personal fear of it and my just, you know, lack of understanding or lacking of, you know, wanting to understand. And, you know, that, that defense mechanism kind of built until things started to unravel for me. Mm-hmm. And there were just a lot of things that happened at once towards the end or I guess the beginning of our second, my second semester at Miami that. So were all these things? There, there were a lot of, I, I had some problems with uh, this, this girl at Miami that I was really into. Things just didn't work out with us. And I wasn't mm-hmm. mentally just equipped to really handle that at the time. You know, I, I lost one of my good friends in terms of we just kind of fell out wow. with each other and stuff. And, you know, uh, there, there were just a lot of things academically. I was really stressed. I was going out and drinking a lot because, you know, subconsciously, that's something that, you know, I tend to do whenever I get to a dark spot is, is you know, I, I tended to, you know, try to 
I guess, fill that void with something that really also helped to, I guess, null that sort of pain and feeling. And there, there was this night that I, I was just in such a terrible spot. And I remember, you know, going to one of my favorite spots on campus and I had a lot, a lot of sleeping medicine and I took a lot of it. I mean, just an amount that should kill you. Yeah. But luckily I had called someone before because all goes back to that just cry for help. I, I, in the moment I wanted to end things, but I didn't really want to not be here. You know, I, I, I truly didn't want that to be the end of me and, and the end of my story in my life. Did you ever think about that one night you called your friend and you are like, you have so much to live for that can't be us? Was that running through your mind or just forget about that in that moment? That was always on my mind. And you know, that's, that's one of the things that in a lot of ways upset me about what I was doing was I was like, you know what? I know how not, I guess, okay this is. But in that moment, you know, all the emotion just took over and I just didn't have control anymore. being saved from that and, and was, you know, I'm, I'm here today. Yeah. But that right there is, is the moment that changed my life because out of that, I ended up transferring schools. I took a semester off to work full time, which was a really incredible experience. And I, you work at? I worked at JP Morgan. JP Morgan? Yeah. I worked for a semester, which was interesting. I was 19 working full time job. Super, super different experience yeah. going from like, one semester of college right into working full time. It, it yeah. was it was crazy, but I ended up, you know, I, I remember vividly too. I, I knew Ohio State was going to be a really special and really amazing place because this is something where, you know, I, I can almost rebuild and, and, and restart the way that I not only look at myself and mental health, but just life in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I 100% did find that here in terms of, you know, just involvement, the community itself. I, I found a really amazing place in Greek life and, yeah. you know, just found people that not only were supportive, but just great, fun individuals that uh-huh. I, I would just love to spend all my time with. I'm so glad you're here. Like, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So getting to OSU, how did it meant your mental health progress? How did it go from? And like when you got to OSU, did it immediately like change? Did you, like go gangbusters, amazing, or yeah, yeah. What happened? So, it, I would never say that it's ever since then gotten like amazing, incredible, because that's just the fact of it all. Just because that's life too, and, yeah. You know, things happen, and that's you know. So you still struggle with it, of course. Yeah, okay. I, absolutely, absolutely. But. What ended up happening, and this is a huge step that, you know, I had always been really stubborn about my parents was they're like, you should definitely go on medication. Try it out. Just at least try it. See how it works for you. You know, I'd always been like, and I had that perception in my head. I'm like, medicine's for crazy people. Yeah. For lack of better words. I was like, you know what? That's not something I need because I can handle it. Yeah. Being the arrogant, you know, teenager <laughs> I was. And, you know, after... The, the attempt on my life, I was like, you know what? I, I need this. Yeah. This is something like I, I can't be prideful. I can't be arrogant. Like I just need something that will help me in any way. And I gave in and was like, you know what? Let's, let's try medication. Okay. And I can say for certain it, it absolutely changed my life. And, you know, this is just my personal experience, but... What I can say it did for me was it helped me, and and a lot of people have this misconception that medication is going to make you less of yourself, and it's going to turn you into someone different. For me personally, from a lot of people that I've known, the right medication will help you become more of yourself, and it'll give you that, you know, it it negates my off days, you know? There, There are days when 
I might wake up not feeling so great and then I take my medication, whether it's placebo or whether, you know, I, I can feel it working. I, I am okay for the day yeah. and I can function normally. I can get through things I need to get through and be, you know, I can be me. I can just operate like I always do. And that's yeah. something that in high school before that I could never say for those days and for those moments. So I think... So what's this medication that's, like, making you feel so good? Like, what, what are you taking? And was it, like, does it have side effects? Did it, like, immediately yeah. start working? Like, So I take Prozac for 20 milligrams, which, you know, it's, it's kind of a moderate dose, yeah. I, I would say, for a lot of that. And, you know, luckily I, I got my medication right on the first try, which is something that's pretty rare. Really? You know, a lot of people, and something that I suggest is that, you know, if it doesn't work out the first time, Either try a different medication, try a different dosage of your medication, like work with it a little bit just to see if it'll help you out. But, you know, I've stayed with 20 milligrams for about two years now, the same drug, and it's been been pretty fantastic. And uh, at first, I, this is kind of funny and interesting, you know, I... (laughs) I, I felt because I'd never experienced this medication or anything like this before, so yeah, I, I couldn't get sad. It was weird. Really, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get upset, but I, I I would just be in this like blissful state all the time, and I would find myself trying to make myself upset just so I could like break the medication or just to see what you know extent I could get myself to, and it, and it was almost like I would watch those like. ASFPCA commercials of the dogs and just try to be like oh my goodness. crying. Yeah, and I just I couldn't do it. The, for arms a while. the angels not working. Yeah, out yet. Right? yeah, exactly. It just <laughs> didn't work, and I was I was shocked that this. And, and you know, I thought for a minute I had to even call my uh, prescriber. I was like, Hey, is this gonna be like this forever? Like as much as I, you know, don't like to be upset, I'd rather naturally feel that emotion yeah. when I feel upset, right? You kind of not feel weird. Like, you, I mean, yeah, you struggle with depression the whole time, yeah. but you must miss that feeling. Yeah, and, and that's something, like, I, I also, like, write quite a bit, too, and I was like, you know what? A lot of these extreme emotions would kind of affect how I wrote, and, you know, I, I yeah. thought, I was like, maybe I won't be quite as effective. Maybe I won't like what I write in light of all that, and luckily everything evened out. Yeah. I mean, it just took my body time to adjust and kind of come full circle with it. But over time, it was, it really, just you know, drug. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's not even that I would say it's more of something that it doesn't make me. And, and this is a, a misconception that a lot of people have is it doesn't make me any happier than I am. Oh, okay. It pulls the lows up to a level that is, is normal for okay. me. Because at the beginning, yeah, it did have that, like, super happy effect. That's just because I wasn't used to that drug at all. But now it's more or less just a stabilizer for it. And it's been it's been working wonders ever since. And, you know, I, I don't want to discredit everything else in my life. Yeah. But that was a big moment for me where I realized, you know, that I could kind of, you know, almost help myself without really having to do a lot of work. I yeah. just take a little pill in the morning and, you know. You, you see some pretty cool results. So For sure. Where do you, yeah. where did you get prescribed this? Did you go to a therapist or was this like a prescription from a doctor? Yeah. So I had been seeing the same therapist and I still do for, gosh, it's been since about freshman year of high school. And he kind of suggested it as well, along with my parents. And I then went to our family doctor who ended up prescribing it. And yeah. You know, at first it was just kind of, I guess, a trial run because that's usually how it is. Yeah. It's uh, trial and error with it. But like I said, luckily we hit the nail on the head the first time and I haven't had to make any sort of adjustments. I've been, like I said, it, it's something where I will always encourage people to look into medication and to look into, you know, that aspect of recovering and, and living with your mental illness because it is such a powerful tool that we have this misconception about and and i just know that for a very large portion of the population it could do a lot of really cool things when you find that right medication the right dosage okay you think it's like a mixture of therapy and medication or just medication primarily good good question it is a hundred percent a mixture of three things okay it's medication there's huge medical aspect it's therapeutic there absolutely has to be that sort of professional help there Mm. And then there's that peer support network. And that's a huge, huge point 
is that when I started to become more open with people about what I struggled with and what I dealt with, it, like I had said previously, it set me free from, you know, not only my misconceptions on what I was going through, but it also helped me, you know, realize that I'm not alone in this. You know, I always thought that I was the only one in my school that woke up and just didn't feel right. I was the only one on my team that just had a day where I just really didn't want to practice, just could not do it naturally. And I realized, I was like, you know what, that's just not the case. And that was a really cool thing to realize because I was like, wow, you know, there, there are people out there that, that get it. And yeah. I, I can talk to openly that have different insights and different, you know, I guess advice in terms of how to recover their best practices for stuff and, you know, uh-huh. just really diversifying what I knew about what I was going through. And I thought that was just incredible to realize. And I think that uh, mm-hmm. helps segue kind of into what we do at Never Walk Alone because, you know, I'll just start with kind of how it started was I, uh, I, I obviously had that idea and I had that little website just made for a long time. It had been like, what, five, four or five years, something like that since, you know, I, I'd started it. And um, I got to Ohio State and my first semester, I just kind of wanted to uh, just get my feet wet and everything. I, I wasn't sure exactly what I would do, where I'd find my place. You know, once I ended up kind of finding that and I kind of got my feet in the ground, you know, I started to struggle a little bit mentally in terms of like what I would do from there. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, I, I had almost like an existential crisis. I was like, really? wow. Yeah. I was like, what can I do at Ohio State to give me and to give, you know, just my mental health, you know, just just this this meaning and this purpose in life. Cause I, I just kind of almost lost that and I'd fallen back into like just going out too often and just yeah. trying to like compensate through that sort of like, you know, destructive path. And I was like, I, I, I thought to myself, it, it was close to the anniversary of the one year since I had made an attempt on my life. And I was like, wow, you know, well, my first step is, is I really wanted to like share my story with people. Cause I was, passionate about that I was passionate about helping others and I ended up doing that which right. I got a lot of really yeah I got a lot of really awesome feedback on that which which really made me feel like I said before you know yeah. well, I wasn't alone how'd you how'd you present your story like what I, was this? I shared it over Instagram it was really it was weird yeah I just you know when I was upset sometimes I, I would watch videos of like Kevin Hines or someone that and I don't know if you know who Kevin Hines I'm is. I'm not aware, yeah. So he is the only guy to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and survive. Oh. And his story is absolutely incredible. And I would always listen to other people's stories when I was really upset to get that kind of, you know, inspiration and, and like, it's like the cathartic sort of aspect of it. And you're just yeah. listening to other people. And, and never walk alone. You don't want to be alone in this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I thought that maybe I could try to help someone do that. Yeah. And I just decided to go ahead and share it. And then I think it was the next day or the day after. I just, I remember sitting in my room and I was you know, looking at the website. I, I just pulled it up and I was just forgot that it was a thing. And I was like, I, I need to do this. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what it's going to become, but I, I, just, I just need to. This is something that I need. This is something that the Ohio State community needs. Yeah. And I made another post on Instagram just asking people, like, hey, this is my idea. This is what I want this to do. If you want to help out, just please reach out. I would love to get anybody involved. And the, the feedback and the, and the people that got involved were just absolutely incredible. So what exactly is Never Walk Alone? And can yeah. you walk us through the process of, okay, you saw this website for the first time after five years. Yeah. How to get to, I mean, now being a university-recognized uh, organization, which congratulations, by the Thank way. That you. was like this Thank past you. week, wasn't it? Absolutely. It was this past week. It, it yeah. was 
it was exciting because we've been around for about a year and we've grown exponentially since then. What we do in Never Walk Alone is we fight the stigma of talking about mental health through talking about mental health. Yeah. And, you know, something that's very unique is, is we operate through the platform called GroupMe, which... GroupMe, yeah. Yes, which which is a really incredible, uh-huh. incredible, I guess, platform just because you can get so many people in one place at one time and have them... You know, utilize it at their will. And I, I truly believe this is just such a powerful resource because, I mean, you can see we have over 300, we have 350. Oh, so you let, it's, it's not a closed organization. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you let not. anyone in. In terms of the resource itself, absolutely it's open to everyone because that's what we wanted to do is connect people. And, you know, with 300 people in a group meeting, you know, you do just that. You yeah. get a diverse range of people with different backgrounds, experiences that are willing and open to talking and, mm-hmm. and to, you know, giving advice, talking about their stories, you know, be there for others. Yeah. And So know, is it like a connective platform? Like, what are all the things you've done? I've noticed your Instagram has a bunch of inspirational yes. stuff on its stories. Yes. So what is everything that you do? Like, your mission statement is pretty clear. Like, yes. what have you done to connect? So we, in, in terms of connecting students... This is our main kind of, or I guess it is our main platform. Yeah. We don't have an email chain. We, we use GroupMe. Okay. And our Instagram is another way that we do that. Just because we are pretty well known on like social media, yeah. I think that's a really amazing and cool thing. And I want to give a huge shout out to you know anyone that's worked on our social media team. Mm-hmm. They've just blown me away. And they, I'm not good with social media, so they do everything. <laughs> I, I don't ever work with it and touch it they do such a fantastic job the amount of graphics i've seen and inspirational stories blows me away it's pretty incredible it's like 10 a day blows me away i i'll be transparent i don't see any of that until it's posted and i am just as shocked as anyone (laughs) posting all that at once i'm yeah it's it's absolutely incredible and i I have nothing but love for anyone that's ever worked on that stuff but Uh You know, things that we've gotten involved in that we've really tried to champion is last year and this year, we're actually going to get involved again in Mental Health Matters Week, which is sponsored by IFC and PHA, okay. which is a really, really, you know, cool week to kind of bring the community together just around not only Greek life, but Ohio State in general and kind of just unite under the banner of mental health. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, something that is really important to do. And, you know, last year was really powerful because I got to share my story in front of I think about probably about a hundred or so people, which which was a cool little experience, and a couple other members of our organization did as well. Another thing that we really champion is is the National Eating Disorder Association Walk. Yeah, and that is ma- absolutely massive for us. And, and last year it was held at Ohio State, and will be again this year. And we were actually the number one fundraiser for that. Oh wow! So we we really amazing. We absolutely we we push really hard for that and. You know, it's, it opened my eyes because, you know, I hadn't really thought of eating disorders as a part of mental health. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fallible for that and, and had been for a while. And luckily, one of our members of our organization decided to uh, do a little presentation on her experience with eating disorders and just give statistics and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I left that meeting just shocked about, yeah. you know, everything that she had presented because, I mean, eating disorders has the number one rate of fatality for all mental illness. That's something I never, never knew or never would have thought to think of. Yeah. And so now when I think about it, it's, it's just like someone who suffers from depression. If you have an eating disorder, you know, it's in the same camp and it should be treated, you know, as it is, as you know, the mental illness with the number one rate of fatality. See, I didn't even recognize that. And, and, you know, another thing that was interesting that she, you know, informed us of as well is that it's very rare to find someone with an eating disorder that also doesn't suffer from another form of mental illness. Yeah. So it absolutely is a codependent mental illness. or I, I think that's the right word for it. Yeah, Excuse me if it's not. Codependent but, sounds about right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's something that, you know, brings on a lot of other different issues and, you know, you know, we, we've done also a lot of, you know, smaller things on campus. We've you know, posted little notes around places, just like saying little encouraging things. And after last year, especially, we had the uh, the two suicide attempts off the garage. Yeah. We, we decided to go up there with like chalk and just write a ton of stuff on there and just, you know, try to give people something if they were thinking about yeah. 
of trying to take their life. And, you know, this year we handed out little pieces of candy on Halloween that had little, like, motivational notes and stuff like that. And I thought that was really cool as well. And Mm -hmm. we are, like I said, going forward, going to get involved in Mental Health Matters Week. We have a couple different things that are in the planning process right now that I don't really want to speak on just to not jinx it. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but we, uh, we also meet about once every two weeks, and we do a litany of things in those meetings. We have things from watching, you know, TED Talks and just having open discussions to having counselors from CCS come in or someone from the Student Wellness Center, even having students present. This is an incredible organization. You've made it you. such a huge thing, and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here because you've done all these things, all these motivational things, only, like, and within only a year. Was there any, like, things that opened your eyes throughout the process of maybe realizing, wow, you know, maybe might have made you a little bit more reassured that you're not alone, might have, like, again, opened your eyes to different things that you just didn't realize? This organization really started within Greek life, too. Really? Okay. And I think that was a really cool place to start it because it is a community that is prone to a lot a lot of areas. The hyper-stigmatized portion of mental health is really embedded in Greek life, where it is just, you're not supposed to talk about it. I would say it's it's not something that, you know, especially for girls in sororities, you know, for, for guys in terms of, like I said, what it means to be a man in society. Yeah. It, it, it's it's taken to another level, I really felt like. You're right. Like, I don't really hear that many people talking about that in fraternity and sorority life. How many people do you believe have depression and anxiety? Is it as common as most people? Do you think that's a problem you're going to have to adjust in that culture? Now... I say, and I, I will confidently say that the the Greek life at Ohio State and just the Greek life community absolutely mm-hmm. mirrors the statistics and the, you know, just, just the rate at which people experience these mental health issues. It absolutely does. Yeah. You know, that's something I've learned definitely through this organization is that, you know, it really does, you know, it, it exists and it exists very prominently. Okay. But it's it's not something that I ever really saw. And, you know, in my short little experience at that time within Greek life at Ohio State, I had never seen it really become something that is talked about a lot. and something that, you know, we really as a community come together and say, you know what, we need to do something about this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I there had been a couple incidents in the Greek life community of, you know, people, there had been a guy who committed suicide and there was, you know, obviously mental health matters week happens every year, but you know, the support just wasn't really palpable. And, you know, I just, I I didn't feel like it was really a priority. And, you know, especially, you know, when I, when I saw the need for this organization, I, I did some research on the organizations already established at Ohio state. And, you know, I have nothing but the utmost respect and love for everything that they do. But the thing that I kind of saw that they're not doing enough of is, is putting themselves out there yeah. and advertising themselves and making it known that this is a resource that students have available to them that, you know, students can advocate for. That is a really great resource. And, you know, I, I just thought that there's a better way to get these mental health resources out there to make sure that people know what exists yeah. and, you know, with Never Walk Alone, I, I thought that that was a really great way to say, you know what, this is by students, for students, and this is something that we're going to put our names and faces on to say, you know what, we're here, we exist, and we will continue to operate and help as long as there is a need. You know, when I got here and I started to struggle a little bit, you know, I had no idea that all of these fantastic resources existed because there are so many at Ohio State, yeah. but... Sometimes it's just not in your face to the point where you should just have that knowledge already. And especially for people like myself who struggle with reaching out to get that help, you need to make sure that that's, you know, that the information is readily available to them. You focus mainly on trying to make it, was that like a, a standpoint you had from the beginning? Like, okay, we're going to market this out and like better than all these other organizations and did that attract more people outside of greek life because you said this started in greek life 
Yeah, and, and that's something that definitely, you know, did is, is I think, you know, a lot of people don't like to think about mental health from, you know, almost like, it sounds weird to say, but almost like a business standpoint. It's like, when, when I say the word marketing and I talk about like mental health organizations, a lot of people get like a, a bad feeling about that. But I don't think that should be the case because yeah. this is something that is such a valuable resource that we have on this campus in terms of anything, the support groups, the counselors, the different drop-in workshops, the different organizations that have meetings and have like all of these different events on campus. You know, if we were able to find a way, and I presented a whole bunch of stuff to uh, Shamina and her vice presidents and stuff on, you know, what we can do to really make that happen. And, you know, if there was a way to really put that out there, then and people like myself that, you know, feel scared to actively go seek that, yeah. will have that information just readily available to them so that when they are in that situation where they feel like they're getting to a point where they can't handle things, they have it. And that's where I, I kind of was like, we need to do something that is different and we need to put ourselves out there. And I thought, you know, obviously Instagram is a great platform to yeah. do that. And, you know, I think that us really championing that, like you said, really did help, you know, expand and, and get people involved because, I mean, it's been really cool and important to see the just diverse range of people involved in this organization now. And the fact that they bring so many different backgrounds and experiences to the table is just something that is beautiful to see just yeah. to see that you know we are all so different but we are all also so similar and united under this you know one cause and one i guess you know passion for trying to help other people that struggle so yeah and i think that, that that's just a really incredible thing to see that's great so going back to you then um you said like it never got as bad as that did yeah back in miami um but what sort of things do you recognize nowadays that you're still like, hey, I still deal with this? And how are you mentally now able to prepare for that? It's, for example, is there a particular instance recently where you're just like, oh, I could have, I would have dealt with this differently back then, and now I'm dealing with it in a different way? And what got you to get in that better mindset? Was that something in therapy? Is it something involving the drug, like the drugs you were taking, Prozac? I mean, I would say even to be transparent, last night, I mean, I had a, I had a really rough night just from an accumulate, I guess, a lot of things accumulating at once. Yeah. And, you know, how I would have dealt with it in the past is I would have tried to just sit there and internalize it. And, you know, what I actually ended up doing is, is utilizing Never Walk Alone. I reached out and asked for help. I mm. said, you know, is anyone there to just talk to me for a little bit? Because it's still very hard for me to verbalize and, and write down what I'm feeling in that moment. And, you know, luckily a lot of people said, you know, you, you don't absolutely have to do that. Just give me a little overview of what's going on. And we'll try to help you out. And, you know, that, that was really incredible to see because in the past I would have never done that. And, you know, some of the stuff that I really struggle with and that I have been struggling with recently that, continue is something really new for me is pretty severe test anxiety and I ended up doing really poorly on my first two exams and these two really tough classes in, in light of the fact that I prepared really really well for them mm -hmm. because I had like a mental breakdown pretty much in the exam room oh, and you know that's that's something that you know, I'd never experienced you know I, I'd not or I'd never been someone that had suffered with that kind of anxiety before so I just had no idea how to deal with it. And I ended up having to you know, talk to a lot of people, talk to my parents, call CCS, just you know, really try to figure out what was going on. And, and luckily that's you know, something that is progressing over time and, and it's getting a little bit better. But, you know, another thing obviously is just depression as a whole. Mm -hmm. I, I still struggle with, with talking to people at certain points. And, you know, as much as it's gotten better, it is still a struggle and it's a process and it's something that you know I just need to you know kind of self-identify a little bit better and, and kind of force myself to reach out a little bit more and I think that's something like I said I've done a better job of but I also recognize that there's a lot of room for improvement there yeah. and you know but you're actually working towards that and that's fantastic yeah. Yeah. like yeah you're more in control you feel like I, absolutely okay. absolutely I, I think in terms of you know, my life, as much as I 
in certain moments when I get really upset, want to feel like I don't have control, I do. And, you know, that that's a really cool thing to realize is that, you know what, you, you have a certain amount of say over yeah. what's going to happen and what you can do. And, and, you know, some of it just comes from mental toughness, just being able to maybe do something like, you know, sometimes I, I don't want to do things in terms of like self-care. Sometimes I don't want to work out or I don't want to sit down and study. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just know in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, this is what's best for me. Yeah. And this is what in the long run is going to make me happy in light of doing something short term that will give me like a short little burst of happiness and then not studying as much as I probably should have. And then yeah. having a little freak out beforehand or just, you know, falling into a bad spot mentally because you decided to go out one night when you should have just been relaxing and having like a really laid back night so you can wake up early and be productive. So, yeah. I mean, it really is a give and take and it's a continuous battle, but you know, it's, it's, it's something that I just need to realize, too, that I'm, I'm not always going to win at. Mm-hmm. I think that's something, too, that a lot of people struggle with is that, you know, you're not always going to win these battles. You're not always going to come out on top. But yeah, it's losing the battle, but winning the war. Losing yeah. the battle, winning the war. Exactly. It, it comes down to resiliency at that point. And, you know, mental health, it, 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 and especially depression, especially like a lot of other diagnoses, they really push how far you can bend, you know, and they like to push you to a degree that you don't think you can handle, but you absolutely can. I think there's this misconceived perception that you're going to, that you're different from everyone else because everyone feels constantly happy. Do you, like, I'm assuming like you believe that like being constantly happy is kind of ridiculous? I don't actually. Really? Okay. I, I don't. Being constantly happy, I know people that are kind of like that. And, you know, maybe I'm making that assumption just because I'm not them, I'm not in their head, I'm not around maybe. them 24 7. But there are people that more or less can just be happy, right? Yeah. And that's okay. And that is a beautiful thing. And I'm jealous and want to know how the heck you do that. That would be incredible if I figured that out. But, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, that is not my reality. And do I feel different from them to a degree? Absolutely. But is that a bad thing? No. That's just the human condition. That's just my condition. And for every one person that is like them, there's one person like me too. And, you know, that just comes with the diversity of personalities with, you know, just mental health in general. That's just what comes with it. So I think you know, no one should ever feel alone. No one should ever feel different for that. You know, even though we might at certain points, just recognize that, like I said, you aren't alone. And you're not just isolated in your own condition. You don't have to constantly compare yourself to people that might, like you said, just be happy yeah. all the time. That makes sense. You said something earlier that actually I just want to backtrack to. It was actually kind of interesting to me. And it's that uh, you said you sometimes just don't want to feel in control. Yes. yes. So what does that mean? So what that means to me is that when things start to go wrong, we like to blame them on things other than ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. We like to look at a lot of external factors and we like to say, you know, it was X, Y, Z. It was all these other things. And, you know, really when you start to kind of look at yourself more rather than these other things, you, you start to really get to the root of a lot of the problems. Not to say that you cause a lot of them, but to say that you can fix a lot of them. Okay. You know? The difference. Yeah. 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 yeah right. It, it's like when you also fall into these like bad patterns and habits, not only of like, Maybe you're not eating well. Maybe you're going out too much. Maybe you're just falling into a lot of bad patterns mentally with how you think and how you view a lot of things. Being able to really identify that and being able to look at yourself and say, you know what, maybe this is something that I could handle a little bit differently. And maybe it's something that I can change to help myself. You know, that's pretty incredible to be able to look at yourself and do a little bit of self-analysis and say, you know, 
sometimes we don't help ourselves out as much as we should. Yeah. So it's a, it's a clarification because you always want to have an internist, like locus, you know, where yeah. you want to be in control. But also, for example, if you're drinking too much, instead of being like, wow, you're drinking so much. Yeah. This is awful. You're awful. Being like, hey, why are you drinking so much? Let's fix this. We can yeah. do this. Yeah. So that's a difference in that type of control. A- absolutely. It's, it's like... You, you want to be in control to the point where if you're, like I said, yeah, you put it perfectly. Like when yeah. you're doing it, instead of you know, demonizing the action, look at why you're doing it. You know, sometimes like, you know, I, I definitely, when I'm like eating poorly a lot and stuff like that, I can look and say, you know what, maybe it's because I'm trying to find like comfort in this food that is just clearly comfort food and stuff yeah. like that. And I can say, you know what? It's, it's not healthy. It's not making me feel good outside of that moment when I uh-huh. eat it. You know, maybe I can analyze that and be like, am I trying to compensate for something mentally? Am I yeah. trying to, like, fill a void here? And then that really leads to, like, some really big and deeper questions of, like, what do you need to be doing to kind of, you know, fill that sort of, you know, need that you're obviously putting yourself in with these bad habits and, you know, how can you do something that's constructive for you that'll help you in the long run? Yeah. Because a lot of it does come down to like long-term versus short-term sort of happiness, right? And it's very easy, very easy to pick the short-term. And it's just simple and we're all human and we all do it. But being able to really be headstrong and say, you know what? I need to look for the long-term. It's one of the hardest things you can do. And that's something that, you know, just I know personally in the end is just so much more rewarding than like anything you can do in the short term for your mental health. So yeah, treat yourself eventually. That'd be nice. Oh, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, a couple more things I just want to ask in terms of your progress and that involves your therapy and peer networking. Uh, We touched upon this earlier. How did therapy help you? Especially in terms of you having the problem of internalizing so much. How did that, what do you do during therapy? How did it help you? Therapy is a really weird way with me of being like a Navy SEAL. Huh. It sounds funny, but it's like they, they, they tend to get things out of me that I didn't even know I needed to get out. Uh, right? Yeah. Where it's just with probing questions with certain, you know, just, just ways that they ask certain questions and, and ways that they lead me. You know, it, it really does help me. And it, it seems... Like, I'm saying it, it, like, it's kind of shady. Like, no, they're yeah. really trying to, like, genuinely help me. And no, for sure. I, I tend to open up a lot in sessions of therapy just because of that. Because I start to have these kind of self-realizations. And then I'm like, wow, you know. <laughs> but then it leads to something else. And then I just start talking and talking and talking. It just yeah. never stops. And it ends up being really constructive not only to let that out, but to get feedback on it, too. And to say, you know what, if you feel this way. This is what you should be doing. This is another way to look at it. This is just you know, just giving me a better arsenal of coping mechanisms to deal with negative emotions, deal with negative times in my life, and just, mm-hmm. just a whole variety of things. I mean, it has truly been incredible for me just to do that yeah. because, like you said, I do internalize. So mm-hmm. just having that kind of space and that you know place where someone can really start to unravel my stuff, you know, yeah. just it, it definitely definitely feels a lot better than holding it in so that's great it's been pretty incredible was there something specific that they did that helped yeah i i think i remember this is something that i discussed when i got out of i got out of miami and i started to go back to therapy was we started to really look at why i was going out so much and Mm -hmm. i was like you know, I, I was thinking to myself and, and you know, I'd always known it, it was sort of like an insecurity thing with me is that, you know, I, I needed to, you know, drink and I needed to be social for that validation because, you know, I still struggle with it, just being comfortable in my own skin and just, just having that kind of self-love. And, you know, it, it took me a while to come to that realization. And I think my therapist knew it. I think he was just holding, he just wanted me to say it. So he started to lead me down like a little... He, he would just ask, like, certain questions, like, yes or no sort of things. Like, you know, it was almost like a flow chart almost. It was kind of interesting to look back on. And then I finally kind of came to the realization that, you know what, I might not be as self-confident. So I'm trying to, you know, use this as a way to not only compensate for my depression on top of it, but for my, like, 
degree of social anxiety or degree to just the fact that I hold some self-hatred sentiments and stuff like that. And when I identified it, I was like, wow, this is pretty like real now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tangible. So I think that's that's a pretty specific moment that I can give there. That kind of gives a little bit of context. That's great. Um, and then lastly, to your peer mentor, like peer, not peer mentor, peer group. Yeah. So to your peer group, who has been the most influential for you? Who has? Throughout, yeah, throughout your process. Or wow. Throughout your journey, I guess it's a better way to say it. Wow. I, I, I have a an encyclopedia of names I could give you yeah. in terms of people that have been incredibly influential. And then who are the groups? It's like the, the, the general groups, like, yeah. Yeah, so just generally, obviously, like, never walk alone in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I have nothing but the utmost love and respect for every single person that has ever been involved in any way with the organization, and especially for people that, you know, have hold, or have held higher positions and that have been really close to me. I mean, there's just... I, I just don't even have words right now, and I don't know if I ever will. And, you know, I, I think next has to be my parents and my family. They've yeah. been nothing but supportive and incredible and just, just helping me keep my head on my shoulders and, and, and try and just not only become a better human being, but just better mentally. I think that's been incredibly powerful as well. And a, a lot of my friends as well, you know, just any person that I've ever known that I have I've opened up to opened up to or not, but that have helped me out in a moment that, you know, they might not have known that I was either in crisis or not feeling well, but, you know, they, they might have helped. I, th I think that that is just an absolutely incredible and powerful thing because I mean, we, we like to undervalue to a degree. You know, I'd say this, we either undervalue or we overvalue the role that peers play in mental health recovery. Yeah. But you can't stress enough how important that sector is in living with it and recovering yeah. from it. It's just because, you know, there's, there's a statistic that one of my vice presidents gave me, and Helen, mm -hmm. you're going to have to forgive me for forgetting this, but it's, it's, it's a really, really damning statistic of the number of people that tend to recover faster and more fully with that comprehensive peer support network. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like I said, cannot be undervalued yeah. like at all, just because it is so vital. So that's a two-part question now. Yeah. So if you had a chance to tell someone who might have been going through what you've gone through, what would you tell them? And for someone who doesn't, who has never gone through anything, like, for example, the people who are always happy or just have never had gone through depression, anxiety, or, God forbid, suicide attempts, what would you tell them? Man, for someone going through something, I mean, first and foremost, you are not your darkness. I mean, you are not your enemy here. I mean, you, you have to be on your side. And then that sounds weird, but you have to be just fully mentally just all in on making sure that you know that it is not you are not causing everything that's going wrong for you. And, you know, God forbid, please reach out. Please be open. Yeah. I mean, don't make the same mistake I did. Don't internalize things. This, this is never going to help you. And, you know, just know that you also are just very much not alone. And, and you know, you, you have people there that are willing and able to help you to a degree that you might not even understand exists. But you just have to be open enough to seek that and to go get that. And, you know, as much as it'll be in your face, you know, it'll come from you. And you just have to find that little ounce of strength to do that because it is so important. It's so vital. And, and to someone who doesn't struggle, I mean, first and foremost, become educated on, you know, what people are like and what they feel like when they do. Get reach trained. And that's the same for, you know, everyone in general is, is go through some sort of comprehensive suicide prevention training and, and do your research on, you know, these sort of disorders and diseases, especially if people that you know suffer with it. Yeah. And, and, and do your best to be empathetic, even though you fully cannot be. You know what? There, there is a time that you've been really upset, too. And just kind of take that, too, and, and use that sort of experience that you've had as, as, as a the backbone for how you can help someone else because you know 
there will be a time where you most likely will have to, you know, help someone that is in crisis. And it is so important to show empathy and to listen and to just be present and to be the person that they never thought they needed. All right, before we close, I just want to ask you, is there anything else you'd like to mention? Anything you missed? Tyshawn? Anything I missed, I'm not sure, but I, I just definitely want to thank you for having me. And oh, thank course. you for giving me the opportunity to share any of this and just let everyone know that ever will listen to this, that you absolutely are not alone and that, you know, again, you are not your darkness and that even if you can't see the light, and, and this is a quote that I absolutely love to live by, is that, you know, if you can't find the light, be the light. And, you know, that's that's something that can be so powerful for yourself because sometimes yeah. we look for light all around us and don't realize that we hold the key to our own happiness and we are the ones that can make these things happen. And, you know, that's just powerful. So always... Beautifully said. Always realize that you're just not alone and that sometimes yeah. you're the light. So... And... We'll close out by having Perfect. you introduce yourself. Perfect. Well, my name is Ronnie Wallet. I'm a junior at Ohio State here. I'm a finance major in the Fisher College of Business, and I'm the president and founder of Never Walk Alone. I have been involved in a fraternity called Phi Kappa Psi that is now off, or I guess kicked off campus, yeah. so you're alumni now, but that's something that I've been really involved in, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much... The, the length of my involvement here at Ohio State. I also do volunteer at Muscular Dystrophy Camp over the summer. It's just something wow. a little bit different, but yeah, that's, that's something I'm pretty passionate about too. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the thank podcast, Ronnie. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. When you told me that you had to leave, I stayed silent, but I disagreed. And you told me you'd be on the highway. I was hoping you would come up my way. Thank you so much for listening. If you are or know someone currently going through depression, anxiety, or suicidal ideation, please make sure that they receive the help they need. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And despite the lack of resources available, all college campuses have some form of therapy and support. Additionally, if you are interested in sharing your story, please email either Annie Knudsen at knudsen.26 at osu.edu. That's K-N-U-D-S-O-N dot 26 at osu.edu. Or Ishan Rola at rola.3 at osu.edu. That's R-O-L-A dot 3 at osu.edu. We would like to thank our mother organization, Universal Health Aid Columbus an organization dedicated to improving universal health through preventative medicine, health education, leadership de and leadership development. If you are interested in learning more, go to uhacolumbus.org. That's it for this week. We will see you next week.